Australia has voted no to recognising Indigenous people in the Constitution through an Indigenous voice to Parliament. We now stand alone in the world amongst similar nations with colonial histories in refusing to make that constitutional recognition. To discuss how we got here and the way forward, if there is one, I'm joined by John Paul Janke, host of The Point on NITV and SBS and by our regular Monday night, Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent at 7.30. And I thank you both for joining us, Laura and JP, after what must have been the most exhausting weekend. Laura, the the national result was resounding 60-40 in favour of no. Not one state supported the change and uh, only the ACT uh, did so. What do the results show us about the, well, the dividing line between the inner cities and our outer urban and rural areas? Well, they, they show us a, a, a clear divide, Philip. Um, they show us a divide geographically. Uh, they show us a divide in terms of income levels. And they show us a divide in terms of age. Um, you know, there the, the couldn't be clearer uh, divides um, w- within the non-Indigenous community um, about uh, about this issue. Um, now, I think it's it's complicated. I don't think it's it's it's. It, it, I don't think it uh, was won or lost on one issue. Uh, but if you had to summarise it, it was um, summar- It would be summarised by the fact that people uh, didn't understand it, or um, they didn't want to understand it. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it raises questions about, um, you know, all sorts of things. I, but I think it is too easy to just say, look, this was uh, a racist result or anything like that. I think it's, it's, it, was a, it, was, it has been a terrible failure of the Yes campaign, but also uh, the result of a often wicked campaign of misinformation by those advocating the no case. Now, the highest polling yes electorate was uh, was Melbourne held by uh, Adam Bant and uh, the teal seats were also very pro-yes. They were uh, and I think when we go back to those points I, I, I mentioned, you know, they are high income, they are young electorates one of the pollsters on Saturday night was saying people have got the capacity to be generous and the capacity to think about these things, whereas I think, unfortunately, this uh, referendum ended up being conducted at a time when, uh, uh, beyond any underlying social issues um, which are disturbing, I think um, there are sort of issues where people are feeling really uh, hard done by, uh, under immense pressure economically, and I think that has um, increased the um, the uh, sort of the no vote amongst people who might be resentful of their position and the relative position of others in the community. Now, Laura, I, I take all that on board, but it's interesting that it's a very similar pattern to the failed Republican referendum. It is, Philip, but uh, possibly for the same reasons, but I think... Um, whether that's the case, I, I actually think that this is such a complex issue, uh, both in terms of the proposition that was put up and the underlying issues that we have to deal with as a country, that we have to try to, as a starting point, 
look at it in its own right. You know, that is, um, you know, there. Uh, this wasn't just a question about uh, recognition as uh, it had originally been suggested. It ended up uh, via the voice mechanism as being a question about a much more diverse issue, range of issues about, about how you deal with uh, Indigenous disadvantage and I think uh, it basically overwhelmed people uh, and gave them a lot of reasons to vote no. JP, there's a bit of irony here in that there was such clear support for The Voice amongst uh, remote Indigenous communities. Yes, absolutely. There was huge uh, support for The Voice in some of those areas that have high Indigenous population, in the Pilbara, in the Top End, Central Australia, the Cape York communities, the Torres Strait, uh, Palm Island, Townsville. So it was. it's an irony that places that The Voice would actually uh, benefit voted in favour of having a voice. And that puts in contrast, I think, the argument of the No campaign that the majority of Indigenous people didn't support a voice to Parliament. We must, of course, pause to consider the, well, the pain of this rejection for so many Indigenous people, JP. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh, there was a, a good article today online uh, on ABC that spoke about, you know, Aboriginal people whose history and relationship with government and institutions have been soured over many decades still put their faith in the parliament and a voice to parliament and this referendum in making historical change for this country. But also it's generations that have been seeking change. You know, you look back over many decades on the various statements, the various petitions, you know, going back to the day of mourning in 1938, all those petitions and, and strikes and marches sought significant change. They sought Aboriginal people having a level of self-determination, having a say on the issues and the policies that affect them. They wanted recognition of their unique status as the Indigenous people of this land and they wanted recognition and protection of themselves as Indigenous peoples. And that's important because that's been going on for generations. The only thing different with this invitation was that it was to the Australian people and not to the Australian government. JP, there were also those who called for the referendum question to be simplified or reduced to just... Uh, constitutional recognition without a voice. What what do you feel about that? Yeah, I think uh, there was a split that people did believe the only way to get this up was to go for symbolic recognition in our constitution. But overwhelmingly, the uh, Uluru dialogues that led up to the, the, the convention at Uluru in 2017 sought a greater, um, greater benefits for being in the constitution. And that was really that through recognising us in the Constitution, you are recognising us with a voice to Parliament. And that's something that people have sought for generations. So I think people were determined that this is our moment to be in the founding document of our country through a voice to Parliament, which recognised our unique status as this nation's Indigenous peoples. Laura, uh, the... the the political analysts will go on and on, of course, but I come back to you in this issue of uh, of the personal pain. Well, 
I mean, I, I was just, it was, it struck me on uh, Saturday night, Philip. I mean, it's it's such a smack in the face, isn't it? It's basically, as JP says, you know, it was this, and as the PM has said repeatedly, it was this generous offer. It was sort of saying, well, you know, basically we've been dispossessed, we've been murdered, uh, you know, we've had our families split up, we've been, um, we've had our social structures destroyed. Um, but despite all of that, we're just saying, look, you know, we want we want to be part of of uh, of the community. We want you to recognise that you know there's this rich culture that we can offer, and we want to share that with you. And we just we just want to be heard. Um, I think um, Ken Hayne, the former uh, High Court judge, was saying on Thursday or Friday, look, um, the the idea of being listened to. Uh, reflects the fact that it's not just that people weren't listened to, it was the fact that they were being told how to live their lives. They were basically under the control of government for, you know, uh, such a huge portion of time uh, since white settlement. And so given all of that, there was this great generosity of saying, look, we, we think we can make this work better, you know, just come with us. And basically most of the Australian population, every single state said, nah, no thanks. And Laura, no, some, have, su- some have suggested that the government got the, the timing wrong given the current cost of living pressures that you mentioned. But was there ever going to be a right time? Philip, I don't think there probably was going to be a right time. I mean, one of the issues here is that, um, and uh, we've sort of dealt with this a bit on 7.30 tonight, it's not just about the time since the Uluru Statement. Um, this the question of recognition in its most sort of potent manifestation has been something that has been on the agenda sort of since the late 1990s. It's had various forms since then. But John Howard, in in the dying days of his prime ministership, was promising what people would sort of say was symbolic recognition in the constitution in 2007 there was this series of debates and discussions and different formats and parliamentary committees that looked at this. Now, this would be something that most of the Australian community was oblivious to, but for Indigenous people and anybody who was interested in the issue, it just kept going on and on and on. And I sort of think that regardless of anything else, it just got to this point where the Uluru uh, statement from the heart had come out, it had been rejected, sort of by both sides of Parliament in a way, um, but eventually it it became one of those things where it, you felt that it had to be resolved one way or another, that there was this trajectory that had gone on for maybe 15 years, it had to be dealt with. And yes, it was unfortunate this, um, that this uh, that the times did not suit it. There, there are going to be lots of plays about, you know, whether it, the question should have been different. Anthony Albanese ultimately said, well, I'm going to let Indigenous people, you know, try out their idea and um, and support them in doing that, and it hasn't worked. And I think that's a real, a, a real cause for sadness, not just for Indigenous Australia. JP, my dear friend Marcia Langton says reconciliation is dead. Do you agree? Yeah, look, she made those comments on the point and uh, it was very difficult to see her make those points, but I felt her pain. You know, you're talking about a national treasure, a national icon that has been fighting for Indigenous rights for most of her life, 
Um, and to see her devastated on that night was, yeah, it was quite a shock. Um, to her, she's saying that reconciliation is dead because she feels, as, as Laura's saying, that this is an invitation that wasn't accepted by the Australian people, a modest invitation that wasn't accepted, um, and she feels in some way that that has pushed back the cause of reconciliation because really it's now saying, Aboriginal people, you're not welcome in our birth certificate. You're not welcome in our founding document, um, a rejection of a nation. And she's saying that is well is well dead. Others say reconciliation now is more important to heal from this. But um, a lot of people are agreeing with uh, Marcia that reconciliation is dead. And in fact, we need to go uh, harder to fight for Aboriginal rights. Laura, where does this leave uh, Dutton and the coalition, politically speaking? There's an argument that uh, you can lose a referendum and or you can win a referendum and then lose the next election. Well, I'm, I'm yet to see, Philip, that this does him any good in a pure mathematical sense. Uh, he has to win back teal seats um, to uh, return to government or he has to win back seats in the states that uh, didn't swing so violently um, as as other states uh, to the no case. And, uh, you know, he's he's just doubling down now. He's sort of saying, um, you know, he's, he's basically defining Indigenous disadvantage in the terms that he is comfortable with, but which have, without a doubt, a, a dog whistle element to them. You know, talking about a Royal, Royal Commission into alleged child sexual abuse, um, an audit of Indigenous funding. Now, it's nobody is suggesting that there aren't terrible issues in some remote communities which have to be dealt with. But, you know, most Indigenous organisations are audited within an inch of their lives. Um, it's it's sort of, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to say, but... Uh, as somebody uh, remarked uh, over the weekend, he, uh, he was saying, well, uh, you know, we, we will make a commitment to another referendum on recognition as we have for several elections in the past. But the point is they've never done anything about it. I don't think those Teal electorates will forget that. And uh, I think um, he's he's not shown any sign that he's got any positive um, moves to make about what you do about this, which doesn't have to be, as he would describe it, I think, you know, touchy-feely, being nice to Indigenous people. But, you know, even if you just looked at it on a pragmatic basis of saying, well, money is being wasted, there's nothing that he is suggesting about how you would do it better. And the record of the coalition over the last decade is that they couldn't do it better. Anything that they did announce hasn't worked and they've walked away from it. I think I think it's it's a blank space as we sit here tonight talking about it. JP, I'm wondering whether, to some extent, extent the blank space may be filled by another generation of First Nations leaders. Absolutely, uh, I spoke to Linda Burney uh, today, um, and she was said that was one of the positives that has come out of this referendum for her. She travelled around the country, obviously. She said she met lots of young people who she felt for the first time was were engaged with the political process. Young people who were door knocking, you know, teenagers, Indigenous teenagers who were door knocking thousands of homes in their town in support of yes. So she feels that there is a new 
generation of leaders who are engaged and want change. And now also I think with, with the no winning, that fire will burn stronger. And a great speech given by Jawa Unipingu at uh, the Gama Festival earlier this year spoke of that fire that Gullera Unipingu had said to keep that fire burning. And I think Linda Burney sees that fire now in the next generation to carry that on for future generations, to seek substantive constitutional reform and for Indigenous people to really have a say on the policies and issues that affect them. Thanks, JP. John Paul Janke, uh, host of the of The Point on SBS and NITV. And thanks to you, Laura. Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.